Gracious Spirit, as you moved across the waters of creation, we pray that you would move once again here. Move around us and within us. Quiet any voice within us but your own, that we might hear your word for us this day, and that in hearing, we might be called to lead lives of response. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, God, our rock and our salvation. Amen. Mark chapter 5. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed on him. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. They said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him. From that point, except Peter and James and John, the brother of James, when they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion, the people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. After he had put them out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Amen. We learn nothing else this day. It is that hands have power. One of my favorite professors loves to tell the story of a time he was preaching at a church in Louisville. At the Crescent Hill Presbyterian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, during the prayers of the people, the pastor asks the congregation to speak aloud their prayer concerns. When I was there as a guest preacher, one young girl whose name I found out later was Leslie asked the church to pray for her pet turtle, who was sick. After the worship service, when I was greeting her at the back of the sanctuary, I told her I was so sorry to hear about her turtle but was curious as to how she knew that the turtle was sick. I remember that this seven-year-old actually rolled her eyes at me at this apparently ridiculous adult question and said with an attitude, because he's moving so slowly. I thought to myself, look, you're seven. Lighten up. But before I could respond, another little girl ran between us, right between us, heading out of the sanctuary. I thought it was amusing. 
But Leslie was not impressed. She yelled, hey, what do you think you're doing? And before I could tell Leslie to calm down, she ran up to the girl who was looking terrified and Leslie said to her, hey, this is my church. And in my church, we don't run like that. Good grief, Leslie. In my church, we don't run by ourselves. In my church, when we run, we hold hands. Leslie grabbed the little girl's hand, who was now smiling. She said, come on, we're getting some cookies. And they ran off, perhaps to the Crescent Hill Presbyterian Church's servery. This is my church. And in my church, we don't run like that. We don't run by ourselves. In my church, we hold hands and we run together. Hands have power. Hands can hurt. The hands of the abuser, the hands of the fighter, hands wrapped around weapons. Hands can indeed hurt and destroy. Hands can also heal. They can make things new. The farmer's hands in dirt, the nurse's hands tending a wound, the mother's hands, the father's hands. Hands that clean us, hands that pour water from font to forehead, hands that fix engines and direct our choirs. If we learn nothing else this morning, we must learn that hands indeed have power. When we meet up with the Gospel of Mark in the fifth chapter, we see Jesus surrounded by many people and a desperate father making his way to him. Jairus, this leader of the synagogue, as the scripture tells us, pleaded earnestly with Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she might be healed and live. Jairus knew something about the hands of Jesus Christ. That there were, there were different powers at work within this one. This divine wrapped in flesh. And so they begin to make their way, and the part that we skipped there is a, is a part that you're familiar with, hopefully. The woman suffering from hemorrhages, she has an encounter with Jesus as he's making his way from the seashore to the home of Jairus. It's a story that I commend to you if you don't know it well already, but, but even on his way to lay hands, just his presence and the power of his cloak, it, it heals this woman. Her faith makes her well, Jesus says. But they're, they're caught up in that scene, right? They're making their way rapidly from the sea to the home, but then, then this other thing happens, and while they're there, something else happens. This desperate father's worst nightmare happens. And so a group who has been at his home makes their way, they meet them halfway, and, say, and they say to the father, your daughter is dead. And in one of the most terrible refrains or moves not to console him no they decide to say why bother the teacher anymore they teach us what not to do when someone is grieving your daughter is dead 
Why bother the teacher anymore? See, it turns on our way from, from worry and death to healing, there's uh, skepticism along that journey, right? Outside voices that would say, why bother? The healing can't take place in the way that you think it's going to take place. Don't bother Jesus any longer. But to that, Jesus reassures Jairus, says, do not be afraid, just believe. And they keep making their way toward the home. He comes to the home and scripture says there's a great commotion. There's wailing. Perhaps you've been in a place of deep grief. And so that's happening in this home. The little girl has indeed died, at least according to everyone who has gathered there. And so they are terribly sad about that. Jesus says, why are you wailing? Why the commotion? She's not dead. She's sleeping. But they laughed at him, Scripture says. More skepticism, of course, in the healing work, the hands of God. And then he only lets a few people come in with him. Jairus, his wife, and then the three disciples that he's allowed to come with him on this journey. And they go in to a quiet place with her. And she is indeed resting there. And scripture says that he took her by the hand. Hand to hand. And he touched her and he said, Talitha kum. Which means, little girl, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. And I love the parenthetical here. She was 12. Astonishment came upon everyone who was there. At this, they were completely astonished, Scripture tells us. They couldn't believe what had just happened. She begins to move around, and he tells them, don't tell anybody. Hold this healing, what you've experienced here. What I love about the Gospels, what I love particularly about Mark's Gospel, is that we can find ourselves in the stories of Jesus. At one point in time, we might see ourselves as every character in this story. Perhaps you know what it's like to be Jairus, desperate for a family member or a loved one, for one that you fear is heading down a difficult path, or one that you know is close to death. And so you, you go with your anxiety and your worry and your fear, and there's really no place to go but to bring it before God. Perhaps you have also been the skeptic, the one unafraid to entertain the possibilities of the divine. And so you say, why bother? Why bother showing up? Why bother praying? The die is cast don't bother Jesus any longer with this. Perhaps you're the little girl, laid out. One who's known what it is to be ill and sick. And you are the one in need of a, of a healing touch this morning. I think at one point in time or another, we can be every character in the stories of the Gospels. Indeed, we are the little girl in need of God's healing touch. We need a voice of Jesus to tell us, get up. 
But we also know the little girl. And we can communicate by the power of the Spirit of God, God's healing touch. You know, we based this sermon series off of of a quote that tells us that Christ has no body in this world anymore but ours. Ours are the hands. Ours are the feet. That will bring the good news and healing and compassion to the world. And so when I think about this story this day and I ponder what it means for us to indeed be the body of Christ, be this day the hands of Christ, I think about the power of our hands to communicate the healing touch of God. Because what I know about our world in this moment is that it needs a group of people, maybe who call themselves a church, to say, get up. You have been made well. You know, I joked with the kids earlier about lifting your hands. Um, I mean, that would be kind of fun some Sunday if we, you know, raised our hands in praise. I know I'm not holding my breath uh, for that to happen, but uh, it could be, could be nice. Uh, but I want to tell you about the first Sunday where I, when I worshipped at that church where I pastored in Georgia, Madison Presbyterian Church. The first Sunday I was their uh, interim director of youth ministry. That's how I ended up in Madison, Georgia. Um, a friend of mine, I told you all this before, a friend of mine said, you want a job while you look for a real job? And I said, as long as it's not youth. And he said, it's youth. And I said, I need a job. Okay, so I went. They didn't have any other helpers. And so they asked me to be a liturgist. And so uh, I stood up that first Sunday. And um, as Jess is leading us in worship, I did the same thing, right? And we made our way through the service. And it was, it was fine. It was nice. Uh, lots of people I'd never met before. Um, we had another liturgist up here with us, uh, an elder in the church, and we got to um, the end, and the pastor stood up and gave a charge and benediction, and then everyone in the congregation, they, they joined hands. And then the pastor and the other liturgist, they grabbed my hand. And we sang a congregational response that it turns out we would sing every single Sunday. We have a hymn in our hymnal called Bind Us Together. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. We would sing that as our congregational response after having heard the word of God proclaimed to us each week. We would join hands as we stood and we received that blessing. Then we would sing just one verse of that hymn together. And I'll tell you, as someone who didn't grow up with that tradition, it was probably one of the most uncomfortable and exciting moments of worship every single week. Uncomfortable because uh, I'm not used to holding people's hands that I don't know all that well, right? Exciting because I got to watch the congregation and those who were visiting for the first time have someone reach across the aisle to them and grab their hand too. And so all of a sudden we'd have, you know, between 150 and 250 folks singing, bind us together and holding hands. And it went without saying that after worship, people would come out and they were first time visiting. They would say to me, do y'all do that every week? And I would say, Yeah. We do it every week. And it would come up every six months in our worship and music committee meetings. Are we going to keep doing that? And I would stay quiet. And no one would say we shouldn't. And so we would. It was corny for me when I first saw it. And slightly uncomfortable. Of course, until it wasn't. Until tragedy struck. 
until Sundays when loneliness felt unbearable, until you needed to be reminded of the goodness of your neighbor, that's when you might realize, holding hands, singing a congregational response, that hands have power. They have power to heal us, to draw us up from our graves, to comfort us, to make us new. When I think about what it means for Idlewild Presbyterian Church to be the hands of Christ in the world, I think a lot about the desperation of Jairus and the skepticism of the people that he called friends and the perseverance of the one that we know in Jesus Christ to continue to move towards healing. I think about the few that were privileged enough to be in that room when he laid hands upon that little girl and told her to get up. And she did. And she went about living in a brand new way. So my prayer and our hope, my hope for us this day is that we might remember our calling to be the body of Christ and particularly to be the hands of Christ in the world. That we may never underestimate the power of God to comfort and to reassure, to heal, and to raise us to new life again. In the name of the Father and the